0: Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Geopolitical Pickle. Jihadi insurgencies have toppled newspapers everywhere in the world for decades now. From the likes of Al-Shabaab to Islamic State, or the historic and present Al-Qaeda, these groups are responsible for violent and illicit activities in many countries all around the world. Today, we present you the first part of our interview with Professor Hussein Solomon, head of the Department of Political Sciences at the University of the Free State. He is one of the biggest experts in jihadi groups in Africa, and we will talk with him about the current state of affairs of jihadism in the continent. Welcome to the geopolitical people. Today with us, we're going to have Professor Hussein Solomon. He's the head of the Department of Political Sciences at the University of Free State. And we're going to be talking about diverse topics from uh, from Islamism in, uh, in Africa to uh, political Islam, uh, territoriality of Islamic groups, different topics uh, as soon as the conversation goes. But first of all, I would like to thank you very much, Professor Solomon, for being here with us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: It is a pleasure to have you here. And um, I would like to ask you, the first question is going to be a little bit general, but I would like to to ask you for your impression. in What is the current situation of jihadi groups in Africa? Especially, well, uh, with everything that's going on in the world right now, what is the situation of jihadi groups in Africa?
1: Well, I think that they are growing. Uh, I think if you look at uh, the sophistication of the attacks, For example, in the Hayat Hotel, in terms of the Somali capital, if you look at what's happening in terms of how al-Shabaab is exploiting the situation, in terms of the rebellion, in terms of northern Ethiopia, uh, uh, if you look at the coming together of the various al-Qaeda-related groups, in terms of uh, JNIM, in terms of the Sahel, if you look at the fact that half of all of the global attacks of is is linked to the various affiliates on the african continent it's certainly growing i think there's a couple of other issues which we need to bear in mind uh, which is fueling this i think um, uh, obviously the african state doesn't have the capability of dealing with this you have french forces now withdrawing You will have the Americans, I'm not quite sure, because I think that the war in Ukraine is sucking up their attention and and so forth. But I also think that domestic instability in the forms of the various coups in West Africa um, has also uh, given them more scope. So definitely it's expanding, it's more lethal. And I'm sorry to say
2: this, but the African Union is missing in action. So we look at just the last few days, for example, and I think there's been attacks in Burkina Faso, uh, in Somalia, where there's been a lot of casualties. So I really think, as you say, it's been expanding. And I know you've said before about how this is basically because of a deficiency of the state functionality in these territories. Can you expand on that a bit for us?
1: Well. Look, uh, in many of these states, uh, uh, people are appointed in senior levels of the security apparatus, first and foremost, on the basis of who they know as opposed to what they know. And they're generally loyal to the incumbent. So, for example, many African states make use of anti-terror legislation against pro-democracy activists. Mm -hmm. So, So their focus is really in terms of Uh, political opposition, often legitimate democratic opposition to their rule, as opposed to these insurgents. Uh, The other thing, of course, is the African militaries are not really trained uh, to fight counterinsurgency campaigns. They tend to be top-heavy. They tend to be cumbersome. Their military doctrine is off base. Uh, The kind of weapons that they put out in terms of feel, in terms of their tactics, in terms of their strategy... All of these things are problematic. And, of course, there's been various European armies which have been trying to assist them. And, of course, uh, the Americans. But, uh, you know, an African military is not the same as its European or American counterpart. Um, but I also think that many of these insurgencies have their basis in socioeconomic uh, um circumstances in terms of local circumstances, uh, as well as uh, a feeling of political marginalization. Uh, there's also often an ethnic dimension to this, right? So if you take Somalia's Al Shabaab, um, 80% of of the fighters of Al Shabaab come out of one particular clan. There are okay um, and uh, if, you, if you take uh, the issue of Boko Haram, it is uh, Kanuri and to a certain extent also Hausa Fulani, ethnocentric nationalism. If you take many of the groups in terms of the, the, the Sahel, especially in terms of northern Mali, you know, they are linked to Tuareg nationalism and the search for an Azawad homeland going back hundreds of years. Uh, the post-colonial African state, has dismally failed in terms of good governance in terms of uh uh, uh, the provision of public goods and so on and and this set the basis for these various groups to mobilize uh against the state and then linking up with your al-qaeda central if you want to call it your is central if you wish to call it but i also blame various foreign powers because uh, they've been largely uh, uh, supportive of the status quo of the uh, political incumbents, as opposed to trying to also uh, 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 opening up the democratic political space, opening up uh, and supporting uh, more moderate forms of Islam. Uh, uh, and I and I also think that uh, for a long time, for various reasons, people have turned a blind eye to uh, various uh, um, uh, supportive uh, measures taken by, for example, Gulf countries in terms of the ideology, in terms of the funding, in terms of radical sermons coming through, and so forth, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's become a toxic mix, which I hope that we can escape
0: from. I would like to ask you, uh, because you were mentioning about the um well you've been talking about the socioeconomic uh, backgrounds that we need to analyze in this sense we've been talking about the the role of the state how has the covid pandemic affected uh, the development of these jihadi groups um, particularly for example were places in in certain states where the state could not uh, could not reach uh, in providing any any sort of uh health uh, assistance or whatever. How has this affected the action and also the territoriality of the uh, Hadi groups in Africa?
1: Well, I mean, the interesting thing uh, is, if you look at the uh, 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 UN, uh, they actually don't have an opinion on this, if you look at the counterterrorism directorate and so on. They said it's too early to tell. Basically, in terms of what happened with COVID, was certainly public spaces was closed down. Movement was closed down. And to a certain extent, there was a lull in jihadi activities. Um, but the closing down of, of now public spaces and so on was also counterproductive because it also prevented things like deradicalization networks, NGOs working in terms of that. The other side of the coin, of course, is that given the uh, poverty uh, of now much of the uh, 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 African populations, um, the closure of, of, of now space, the restrictions on movement uh, resulted in um, the, the, those socioeconomic conditions to deteriorate which many of the jihadi groups then made use in terms of their propaganda. Okay, uh, and, and when we talk about these jihadi groups, we must also accept the fact that they also play a role in doing some socioeconomic outreach in terms of providing rudimentary health care, in terms of schooling, but of course you are talking about religious indoctrination and stuff like that. You are talking about them providing some assistance and thereby actually people's allegiance moves from the state to these groupings, to these non-state actors, mm-hmm. okay? And, and, and that's the reason why I felt that despite the rhetoric coming out of uh, uh, Washington, Paris, Brussels, London, and so on, about holistic counterterrorism strategies, it's still very much military dominant, and they're not also putting emphasis on those things which are driving these people to terrorism. Even if you look at this amazing work that the United Nations Development Program has done, uh, Journeys to Extremism, pointing out issues of uh, poverty, uh, issues of governance, the, uh, the fact that counterterrorism operations, which do not make a distinction between civilians and, and, and terrorist insurgents, uh, are actually resulting in more people joining the jihadi groups, uh, but the same kind of thing came out of the um, counterterrorism or the uh, terrorism index, and and so forth. Um, but for some reason, uh, the emphasis is still on just the military dimension, and not enough
2: is being put into those other dimensions. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's interesting because if we look at uh the West basically has been so much money spent in West Africa and there's been very little results to show for it. And what you're saying basically is that all that money was spent on military intervention, but really there's underlying issues and predominantly, I guess, local issues in each country which need to be addressed to uh, uh, fix the root cause of the problem.
0: Even, for example, uh, the the latest EU mission uh, in Mali uh, which was intended to, to change from a more militaristic perspective of, uh, of the later of Paris and Serval and everything into a more encompassing one. Uh, there's arguments that it's indeed still a military, a military intervention in that sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, you talk about Mali and you know that uh, the military junta which came to power mm-hmm. has now prevented mm-hmm. <laughs> the operation from taking mm-hmm. place. But I also think, you know, when we are talking about specifically the Sahel, let's be honest about it. I mean, you are talking about 20 years, more than 20 years in some cases of the involvement of external powers, you know, notably Washington and Paris, you know, uh, in the Sahel, and you're right. I mean, they haven't been able to quell this because they haven't been able to deal with the problematic of the state itself, which is fundamentally exclusionary. You know, if you, um, and you know, and there is something else which is very different from, let's say, uh, terrorism in terms of Europe or, or the Americas or and so on, and that is that. Um, you know in 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 terms of your hollywood movies there is uh, very very clearly a bad guy and a good guy
2: hmm.
1: in terms of the african landscape uh it's gray okay there are different shades of gray but it's gray so what do i mean by that if you if you if you take uh um Boko Haram, there were some senior politicians who uh, they were? I mean, uh, who were providing support to Boko Haram for their own reasons? They were uh, um, uh, President Goodluck Jonathan, the former president of of Nigeria, actually brought in private military contractors because he couldn't trust his armed forces because these were, according to him, penetrated. The uh, 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 right, uh, uh, and he felt it, it goes into his own party, into the judiciary, and so on. Uh, in the case of um, in the case of uh, 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 Somalia, you have there, um, you know, uh, armament shipments which were which were destined for the Somali federal uh, uh, government and and its armed forces, uh, suddenly wound its way into al-shabaab hands so somebody inside is selling those weapons uh, in the case of uh, mali you had previous governments who were involved uh, with narco trafficking with al-qaeda in the islamic Maghreb. so it's very it, it's a very difficult landscape to know who the good guys are and who are the bad guys are so you say well you are capacity building and you are doing all of these things, right? You are putting people onto military exercises, right? Uh, um, you know, and training. And then they come back and they stage military coups. Yeah. <laughs> Did you miss out civil military? Really? <laughs> the training there was something training. missing yeah. there. Yeah. But, but whatever it is, it's a mess. But more importantly, I would say to you that... As someone who's an African and who identifies as an African who lives on the African continent, I think for me, the fact that the African security architecture uh, in the form of the African Union, uh, in the form of the regional economic communities, is simply not working, right? Um, So, for example, the Sahel G5 doesn't exist in terms of the AU architecture. Mm -hmm. But we know how it was created in my view, largely as a result of the French creation, ostensibly to act as a force multiplier for operation Barcan troops Troops, mm-hmm. uh, But within the AU architecture, it doesn't exist. If you take AMISOM, which has been going on and on and on, um, AMISOM doesn't really exist in terms of that structure and the continental uh, rapid response capabilities just doesn't exist.
2: Um, and I'm not quite sure how you fix this? Would, just on that, do you think it would be more beneficial for, say, the non-African actors that are trying to put money into the situation to actually work in promoting solutions within the African Union, say, getting a force developed locally there that can address these issues as a, as a counter to what has been done previously, which is deploy French forces, say, or American forces in training local troops and things like that? Well, here's the problem. The AU is dysfunctional,
1: okay, and the AU is not a super state. Hmm. It's an interstate structure, and the dysfunctional African state is reflected in dysfunctional ECOWAS, SADC, IGAD, whatever, and it's also represented in a dysfunctional African Union. So putting money into dysfunctional African Union. I mean, you but you know that they were supposed to have um, a uh, a rapid response force of three thousand in mm. in in each of the regions
2: yeah.
1: uh, because the wrecks as in the regional economic communities. But I would argue it's actually a wreck as in W R E C K. Was uh, was was I mean? And then they said it is fully operational and stuff. And every time there's a crisis, you know, Amisom is an extra regional force. You know, it's not from the from the East African community and, and stuff like that. The Sahel G five is not related to ECOWAS and ECOMOG structures, right? Um, so even in terms of Mozambique, in terms of sadc it's Rwanda and so on. Um, So what you have is a mess Um, and, you know, um, uh, somewhat more controversially, you know, some people have actually argued that following the Doha round of talks in which, you know, that the Taliban has now taken control of of Afghanistan, people should look at negotiating with the likes of Al-Shabaab, with Boko Haram uh, and so on. And I don't think that they actually understand how these jihadi groups actually operate, right? Mm. Uh, Because if you take uh, the Taliban, now that they have control, they've actually reneged on the agreements, on on various agreements, but more importantly, uh, any moderation of the Taliban Mm. has resulted in a more extreme Islamic state in Khoristan there. So similarly on the African continent, these Jihadi groups, you can say, well, let's make a deal with the Kanuri nationalists in Boko Haram and separate them from the more militant IS elements. Let's make a deal with the Rahan Wayne clan elders and thereby bypass Al-Shabaab. But the groups are quite fragmented. so. An emir, if I want to use that terminology, Mm -hmm. of a local African jihadi group does not have command and control over his, uh, over those groups who have taken a bayat or an oath of allegiance towards him, okay? They often push local agendas and use the regional grouping um, occasionally and so on, and sometimes they... They uh, fight, for example, uh, uh, in terms of cigarette smuggling or whatever counterfeit they are using to fund their operations. This is what's happening. The other thing is, uh, uh, as you know, uh, these these groups are often in competition with each other. So you have Boko Haram proper, and then you have Islamic State Wilayat, uh, right? Uh, we, we, because there was a leadership tussle inside Boko Haram proper. Um and, and that's problematic. Um, and of course, you have a problem where you have weak states now cannot enforce saying, you know, thou shall not kill, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which is the basic building block of security. Um, and I think it's undermining states who are already fragile if you take, you know, uh, the basic definition of a state in terms of, uh, uh uh having the monopoly over coercive force over its territory um well, what you find then is uh uh the state's power is actually decreasing and decreasing and i think the war in ukraine is causing that more so uh how well obviously resources are being moved right um uh 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 towards europe and so forth right uh by these external players but then you also have another problem and that other problem relates to the price of wheat mm. uh a uh, fuel inflation you know many african cut- countries get their wheat from uh ukraine right uh and russia uh um the cost of fertilizers. Uh, right has has now gone up by three hundred percent, resulting in further uh, a, a further twenty percent reduction in terms of uh, uh, um, farmers uh, uh, being able to get more crop out of their land. Um, so on the one hand, you are not getting those imports, but on at the same time, your own food. Uh, uh, basis, and I won't even talk about climate change and desertification and so on. And the country's, the state's inability to provide to its people is coming to the fore, which is being capitalized upon by these jihadi groups.
0: And in that sense, can they actually pose uh, an alternative to the state about... um can any legitimate alternative? Uh, not 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 as not a legitimate but more of a viable alternative? Does any group well, currently yeah. have uh, the capacity of uh, sustaining a, a pseudo-state apparatus, a pseudo-state apparatus that could, for example, provide some basic uh, goods to similar the, to Taliban, similar to to Taliban or similar to how uh, Islamic State was at one point in uh, in northern Syria and in Iraq.
1: Well, I mean what I find interesting in terms of there are certain areas, okay, like the Sambiza Forest, mm-hmm. which is a no-go zone. Uh the the Nigerians in early September this month have launched an operation there in terms of special forces and stuff like that. But this is a vast terrain. And essentially what the insurgents do is they just move around that terrain, okay and the state is unable to uh, what they clear out a particular area and they move into another area i mean uh um if you take the sahel right uh also there are areas where it is no go zones and the power of the state is actually contracting hmm. um in terms of somalia when you look at that attack in terms of the hayat I mean, look at the sophistication, look at the planning, look at the fact that they managed to stay in control of the hotel for 30 hours. Yeah. 30 hours. This is Mogadishu. This is supposedly the capital of Somalia, right? Um, uh, if you, uh, in, in terms of Mozambique, uh, when they occupied that coastal town, um the, the that's islamic state there um when you are talking about uh northern parts of uh mali you know um uh Gao, Kidao, timbuktu i think all of those areas is actually beyond the reach of the state mm. Now, there's rival groups there and so on and so forth, but they're effectively outside the control of the state, and the state has una- has been unable to do it. Partly, if you take Mali, is because, you know, there's been four Tuareg rebellions, as you know, uh, since the uh, state of Mali came into being. And each time, the, the state would try to co-opt local elites. <laughs> Mm -hmm. In terms of power sharing, as opposed to really engaging in sort of inclusive governance and sharing and so forth. So, for example, if you take uh, in terms of southern Mali, you are talking about 63 percent poverty rates. But when you talk about northern Mali, if you take Kidal, you're talking about 92 percent poverty Mm. rates. If you take Nigeria, Nigeria. Which is also split north south in terms of Christian Muslim, right? Um, uh, there, you are talking about uh, a 72% poverty rate in terms of northern uh, Nigeria, right? And uh, as opposed to southern Nigeria, which is more developed, the industrial heartland, and so on. The same kind of dynamic in terms of Mozambique, right? With Cabo Delgado being Yep. being being the most impoverished area mm-hmm. um, all of these dynamics uh, matter in terms of the state contracting and just its uh, capacity, its lack of leadership the levels of corruption inside the state uh, and um, in my view no matter how much of a military force what you put in there uh, it's unable to quell What's happening? I mean, Amisom is minuscule compared to, uh, let's say, the army of Siad Bare, right? Um, uh, not that he was a nice guy you know, or now <laughs> anything like that. Uh, if you if you uh, take the Sahel G five force, it's minuscule. If you look at the territory of the Sahel, if you uh, not only the size but the terrain. Mm-hmm. And 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 how difficult it is to control all of that territory, to have an eye on all of that territory when you put in forces to supply those forces and keep them supplied, and not having the supply lines crushed and so forth. Uh, it's a logistical nightmare, and uh, and unfortunately, it's one um, that was entirely predictable in my view. Mm-hmm.
0: I would like to go a little bit, well, we would like to go a little bit into into Somalia, you've uh, written ahead uh, about it, and uh, we would like to ask you about the current situation, basically, how um, how is um, how is Al-Shabaab, well, how is Al-Shabaab right now uh, established, uh, we've been mentioning before the, the terrorist attacks and uh, and the hotel hostage situation, well, the hotel uh, issue in Mogadishu, in the capital, um, and also uh, some important, as some important um,
2: regional aspects. like Some guess. important
0: regional aspects. Some important uh, something important happened uh, during last year in neighboring uh, Ethiopia. Um, mm. How has how is uh, Al Shabaab right now developing, and uh, what it basically what is its situation in the terrain? And
2: any impacts the. Tigray mm-hmm. situation yes. might have had in developing that.
1: Yeah. Look, I think that um, Al-Shabaab, uh, I mean, just, well, obviously I mentioned the Hayat attack in terms of the hotel, mm-hmm. Yes, but uh, I think that there's clear signs of fatigue in terms of Amazon and in terms of Western donors, let's be honest. Without those donors, Amazon will cease to exist. Um In the case of of the Somali government, I mean, the infighting and so on, they are still quite weak and they're unable, in my view, to control the state uh, without Amazon. I think that if you talk about uh, what's happening in terms of uh, Tigray in, I think, in July this year, uh, well, as you know, there's been... uh, The Ethiopian forces are are battling this, uh, the uh, Tigrayan uh, People's Liberation Front up north. And um, what was interesting about Al Shabaab was how sophisticated they had operated. Uh, They first attacked some border towns, which uh, on the Somali Ethiopia border, which were actually controlled by by the Ethiopian Liu police force. And this was a diversionary attack, it seems. And they sent a much larger force of 500 into Ethiopia, and they had penetrated 100 kilometers into Ethiopian territory. Now, the Ethiopians say that they've uh, neutralized the force and so on. But for al-Shabaab to have actually done this,
2: mm. uh,
1: uh, first of all, they've always, I mean, <laughs> the war between between Abyssinia and various Somali yes. groups, yes. you know, has, have know have a long going. <laughs> exactly, groups. yes, I mean, yes, yes, like yes, five, yes. This comes years, from right? yes, and um, and you know, uh, and let's not forget the Somali five-pointed f- flag, you know, uh, um, and I think part of the reason why Ethiopia was there was trying to protect their own assets in terms of the Ogaden. Which yep. is Somali. And so 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 Al Shabaab is Islamist, but they're also nationalist. Yep. Uh, they also have an issue with, part, so yeah, yeah. with parts of the territory which has been included in terms of Kenya as well, right? Mm-hmm. So the attacks there. Um and and they've always wanted to strike at Ethiopia. And there have been various attempts. You know, an attack on the on a soccer match in terms of 2014, various attempts to attack Ethiopia have been foiled, and so on. But what was very interesting was, I think they understood that the Ethiopian forces, or was largely preoccupied with what's happening in terms of Tigray, and um, so they exploited that and they entered there. And um, uh, some reports, some some media reports say that this, um, while there was a force of 500, a hundred of them is still involved, is still uh, um, in, in, in involved there. And I think that shows the uh, weakness of the Ethiopian state.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the fact that, that Al-Shabaab strategically could read could read into this an opportunity to exploit their preoccupation with the North and moving in a force. Yeah. Uh, but it also, I think, shows to me that if you take the countries around it, um, I mean, Kenya has just had a rather fractious election. Yes. Uh, William Ruto is the president Raila Odinga contests that. He lost at the courts, but, you know, there's still issues there. I don't think Kenyan Somalis have been integrated into Kenyan society. I went on a research trip to Kenya and I spoke to Kenyan Somalis who have difficulty accessing things like identity documents, even though, though they've been born there and so on. And again, it goes and and speaks to the issue of uh, the need for more inclusionary citizenship. Uh, uh, I think, in terms of Ethiopia, uh, there's a lot of fractures uh, happening there. And Ethiopia, now you know, here you have um, the prime minister, uh, you know, winning the Nobel Prize and Mm. (laughs) and stuff. And suddenly uh, things are going pesche.
0: An, an interesting two-year period of time. <laughs> we yeah. could call it like that.
1: And so so this raises an interesting question. If Al-Shabaab has read the situation in Ethiopia like this, can it also exploit the weaknesses in neighboring areas to move forward, especially given the fatigue in terms of forces like Amisom and so on, and and when you think of Amazon, right, and for example, if you think of um, countries like Uganda being part of Amazon, and if you look at President Museveni's uh, very warm welcome to Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, and the fact that the Ugandans have a problem with the fact that um, the West has cooled about Museveni, and about him being a reformer, and the fact that he's been in power for so long, and and the perceived support of Bobby Wine and so mm. on. Will the Ugandans, for example, continue to be part of Amazon, right, um, and so forth? So, so there's a lot of variables out there, which I think,
2: frankly, is in Al Shabaab's favor. Mm-hmm. Just to wrap up for this first section of the interview do you think that this is kind of indicative of islamic groups across africa as a whole because i see it kind of as an opportunistic situation where there's been the focus of the central government directed elsewhere to a rebellion in the north and then that's when a lot of the shabab movement has been coming into ethiopia once again um and that's just one instance of the islamic group but i think it can be extrapolated widely across the whole continent to the different
0: even for example uh, since we were talking about Mali a lot
2: uh, just to tie it back it to the different grown spaces grown within and, the government
0: in hmm. Mali that leads to a coup that leads to a reinforcement of uh, for example the the ties between um, between islamic groups in northern Mali with uh, with Tuareg families because of being overlooked hmm.
1: absolutely look the All the Islamist groupings are actually opportunistic. But I also think that local groups are also opportunistic. I mean, if you take al-Shabaab, and I spoke about the fact that you have one clan, the Rahan Wayne, which features very prominently. For the Rahan Wain to be, they will not get much support inside Somalia, saying we're Rahan Wayne. So they use political Islam as their vehicle. You know, instead of talking about your clan, would you talk about the (laughs) Ummah?
2: Yeah.
1: Right? Um, And you mobilize that way. And of course, uh, you know, Abyssinia, now Ethiopia, is, uh, you know, uh, in terms of the church there, the, the identity of the Orthodox church in terms of Ethiopian identity and so on, national identity. So now you're saying you're going to war... Uh, against the christian infidels right and you carry on the wars of 700 years ago 200 years ago and so on um and then of course in terms of uh uh, the americans and other european support for the somali government and so on well you can go back to the 1920s and look at the fight against uh, uh british uh, colonial rule, for example, and and they again make use of political Islam as a vehicle. So this opportunism. So this opportunism, whether it is in terms of COVID, whether it is high food prices as a result of the war in terms of Ukraine, whether it is because of poor governance, whether it is because of Western support for. Um, governments which don't have the people's interests, they exploit all of this but local groups also exploit it
2: Fantastic, thank you very much for going through all of that, I think that's good for, for part one of our interview here with Dr. Hussein Solomon and we look forward to hearing you next week on the Geopolitical Pickle to continue our talk Thank you very much
0: For tuning in to your political pickle we hope you enjoyed the episode and we look forward to seeing you next time in the meantime follow us on instagram for more behind the scenes content and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast thank you and see you next week